This morning we're in a series called I Am David, part four. If you have a copy of the scriptures, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the fourth sermon in this series. We'll finish up, conclude it next weekend with the legacy of David. And we'll finish it up in a wonderful way. And then it's hard to believe we're almost about to launch into the Christmas season. Have you already started your shopping? <laughs> hey, don't worry about it. Okay. Although our retailers are trying to get us there, aren't they? Yesterday, I went over to secure a new phone. They had this one day only. I got there, and I thought I had gone to purgatory. I thought all my Catholic friends were right. I talked to the lady in front of me. She goes, I've been here since 5 a.m., and I have a bad attitude. And my husband's ready to shoot somebody. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, hold on, hold on. And, uh, and, and here's what they did. They're going to honor my price, but they said, you can get it in, a, in, in several days into next week, and here's a slip, and you come back for an assigned appointment. Creative sales. Okay, here we are. King David, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Today's focus is rebellion. Does anybody in this room know anything about rebellion? If you don't, you're lying. We all know about rebellion. We, we come that way. We have that sin nature of Adam. It's called the Adamic nature of Satan, I mean, of, a, of Adam. And, and what happens is kids are incredibly selfish. I, I see that even in my grandkids. And I thought they were near perfect, and they are near perfect. But they even can, you know, uh, express themselves in a selfish manner. And, and so can we. Rebellion. Rebellion gets us every time. Rebellion got David. Rebellion... It's where David was king of the land, in charge, large and in charge, David was. He had everything. He had soldiers at his command. He had a wonderful palace. He had wives. He, he had so many things going for him, but he rebelled in his heart. And this morning, I know you're going to go, well, pastor, I know you're going to get to David and Bathsheba, and I am, but here's what I want you to say. I don't want you to go, oh, what a great Bible lesson. What a great Bible story. It is. I want you to look at you. I want to look at me. I want to look at the rebellion in my heart. You see, if I only preach it for historical context, then this is more like a history class, and that's not what I asked for. I asked for transformation by the spirit of the living Christ. Is anybody in with me this morning? I want Christ to transform your heart and mine. He's already transformed King David's. He got David's attention, but David had to go through a road he didn't, shouldn't have, but he did. And we'll learn from his life. But look at the message truth right there across the top. Get ready to write it in. Our identity is not determined by our worst sin, but by our relationship with God. I love that. Our identity is not based on religion. Identity is not based on our membership in a church or being an American or whatever it is. Our identity is based on our relationship with Jesus. And I'm always talking about a relational God pursuing him because he first pursued us. He initiates, he loves, he cares. And, and David has the great, as we've been looking, he had the great uh, victories and he, he defeated Goliath and on and on. And he ha he's, he's ruling over Hebron and, and Mount Zion is the capital there, the kingdom. And he has associates in Joab and different ones and they rise up and they have great power. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the mighty king, Shepherd boy, David, is slain by his own lust. His own lust got King David. And it took him down because it wasn't just the sin of lust and the sin of adultery. It was a sin of murder and cover-up and pride and rebellion and all these things that were looked. So his transgressions, it, it wasn't just a one-time fall for David. It was a, 
a series of sins that followed the initial act. If you look at your life as I'm looking at mine this week, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any hurtful way within me. It's a great psalm to pray, Psalm 139. You begin to see that sin starts with one, and then if we don't quickly acknowledge and confess our sin, then it goes to another one, and then another one, and a cover-up. And it just, it, it, It's like you always tell kids, or you tell anybody, don't lie. Because when you lie, you have to do what? Oh, y'all have done that, have you? Would you come up here and share with me? <laughs> yeah, you lie. And then you lie, and you lie. And have you ever been around liars? Don't look at anybody in the room. But have you ever been around liars, and then they lied so much, they forget the lies they told? And then they get found out. I mean, I, I've certainly been there. I, I've been guilty of that before. I, I'm not a liar. That's not who I am. But I'm certainly capable. Or, or just turn to the person next to you and go, are you capable of lying? Just, just turn to them and ask them. All right, what was their answer? Yeah, I mean, we are. I mean, so transgressions. He, David, you read, David was a strong warrior. But here we see David was a man of weakness. So as, I, as I'm doing a character study on David, I'm learning I can identify with this great king of Israel. He was weak. He, he had a sinful nature. He, he had intentions of his heart that were less than what God wanted. It was, the Bible talks about it was the spring of the year, and they went out to war. They went out to war after the heavy rains. The, the terrain of Israel uh, for mud and soldiers and all this, that, that wouldn't be a very good place to get quick footing and to have victory. So they would wait for the rainy season to, to end, and then they would go into battle. And, and in this particular, I'm trying to give you a little history here, they, they would go out for battle, but King David needed to be on the battlefield. But he had risen to a rank, and David says, I'm not going to go. I'm going to send my men ahead, and I'm going to stay home in the comforts of the palace. And he did. See, David wouldn't have sinned had David been where David needed to be. That's a good principle for you and me. You don't sin when you're not in the place uh, that you should be. I mean, how many of you, don't, don't raise your hand, but just think about in your own heart, how many times have you sinned because you went somewhere, you did something you shouldn't have been doing, you knew God had given provision and ways to escape the temptation and the sin, but you chose to do it anyway. Well, here, David, he just goes out and he, uh, he, he relaxes a bit. See, busyness will always get us in trouble. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, and people are already telling me, I'm so excited about the holidays because it will mean some rest for my body, for my soul, for my mind, for my family. And I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I look forward to Thanksgiving, too. It's a glorious week. And, and some of you work retail, and, man, I'm sorry. And, 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 and it is not it's everything but rest for you. It's, it's, it's the weary. It's the, it's the crazies come out. Hey, do you, have you ever met crazies? They're sitting next to you. And, and you, you, you get a deal. You, you sell a big flat screen TV at a ridiculous price. It will bring out chaotic, craziness, terrorists in Montgomery. No, not terrorists. I mean, that was a bad use of words. But it just brings out the craziness in people. But David here, David's idol. David stays in the palace behind. I have learned that if we get too much time and get idle, we have a propensity to run to sin if we're not careful and put a guard over our hearts and our minds. So the story, if you'll look down there in chapter 11 and verse 2, late one afternoon after his midday rest, see there it is, David's getting rest, God's all for rest. David got out of bed, was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, 
the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So he requested that, that she come to him. And so here, here's the thing. There's no walking in holiness and purity. Basically, David has a glance there, and he, he, he turns. Matter of fact, I want you to look at it. In your outline, I want you to write it. He saw, he glanced, and then he gazed. The way we are made, men, we're visually wired, and maybe women are more visual than we maybe think, but he glanced, and there was nothing wrong with a glance, and, and that's the way God's made us, and a glance was good, but the, the Bible says that David didn't only glance, he, he gazed, and he, maybe he went on to the point of gawk, and then he said, and I want her to come to my house, and then the big sin cover-up happens for this amazing king, this, this one that's after the heart of God, so uh, an application for us today would, would be, men, let's be careful with our eyes that we don't lust, that we, we we glance, but we, we don't gaze. We don't gawk. We, we try to go, Lord, help me. That Lord, I've got a circuit breaker. God, would you take control of my, my, my visual eye gate? Uh, this, the scripture says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I might not sin against you. It was a, it was a wonderful scripture that we should meditate. So he says, hey, I'm going to tune out the fantasy. Uh, and, and then I just want to say this to the women in the house because it's my responsibility as a spiritual leader, as a shepherd, as a pastor, to say, Girls, us guys, we have responsibility. And all the men said, well, that was pitiful, but I, I think you're with me. And, and women, you have a responsibility, and you, one of your responsibilities is to be modest, is the way you dress. And yes, I said it from this stage, women need to dress modestly, not to stimulate and to arouse men, but to help them honor the Lord and honor them. Because the thing is, this woman that we're looking or, or get consumed with is all social media and everything tries to get our attention. That is somebody's daughter, and that is somebody's wife or will be somebody's wife. It's a great way to look at it. We, we were talking this morning in prayer time, and, and Chuck shared a little bit of this. He had no idea I was going there today, but it, it's a new way to help us. Lord, help me have a transformed Romans 12 mind to honor you, because, Lord, I, I, I want to honor you. I want to I bless you. But David, here in chapter 11, David has an abuse of power because he is the king of the kingdom, and he takes authority to just stay at home, to stay idle, and to not be where he needs to be. So, you look there, and, he, and, he, and you, you go, you've read the story, verse 5, and, and then she discovers that she's pregnant, and she tells King David that I am. So then David begins to really get, he amps up his sin pattern, and David starts a strategy to cover up. But before you just look at this man and go, ah, oh, David, look at your own life. If we're not careful, we begin to create strategies in our life to cover up our sin because we don't want to be found out. In, in the book of Numbers, it says, and our sin will find us out. I mean, it's just you're saying, but I'm a good hider. Well, you, you might be a good hider, but in long term, you will be found out. Uh, it, like, like mamas. Have you ever noticed, you, you, you lie to your mother, and you go, my mom's not very smart. And I lie to her again, and I lie to her again. And over and over, what have I found about you women? Go ahead, women, tell me what I know. You know. You find out. You know your kid's lying. You, you know they went somewhere they weren't supposed to be. And you go, how did you know, Mom? Because I have eyes in the back of my head. I have, I have people out in the community, and, 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 and they, they report back to me. I, I don't know how it is. They, they just know. Maybe the Holy Spirit just gives it to them, but it's great. But you, you move down here, so David is, is in trouble. In verse 8, he, he, he's telling Uriah, part of the cover-up is, Uriah, would, would, you, would, would you go home? 
You know, I'm going to pull you off the battlefield. I want you to go home, and I want you to lay with your wife and, and, and then go back at the battle. But he was a faithful soldier, and, and, and that doesn't work because he sleeps at the, the door of, of his home. And then, he, and then he gets him loaded up. He gets him intoxicated. He gets him drunk, and he goes, and, and here's what I find amazing. A, 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 this soldier, even in a, a drunken state, has more integrity and righteousness than a king. Because David's already in this destructive pattern, and, he, and he's headed out for sin and for destruction in his soul at this time. And, and God loves him, and he's going to deal with David. And, and so I want you to look at Proverbs 5.21. It'll come on the screen. It says, For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path that he takes. How many of you believe that today? I believe the Lord sees everything. Nothing is hidden from the eyes. Everything is laid bare before the Lord. Every sin that I think about, that I uh, contemplate, that I participate in, that I do, that you do, God knows, he sees, and he wants to lead us away from it. He just he, he loves us so much. So I'm, I'm reading here, and I'm seeing this thing, and there's this great cover coming up, or this great cover-up going on. And so then, so David's like, man, Uriah is a faithful soldier. And, and even Uriah knows that he should be on the battlefield, the same place that David should be, but David's at home getting in trouble. Now he's trying to get him killed. So he says, here, I'll send a letter, and I'll get him up on the front line. And he gets Uriah on the front line, and he says, and then we'll pull the troops back. And as they pull the troops back, Uriah loses his life. He dies. He's killed. He's slain because of the sin of King David. And the word comes back, and Bathsheba finds out that he's dead, and she mourns for her husband, and she's sad. And, I mean, rightfully so, and David just kind of glosses over it. So it's not looking real good. And you read, if the Bible just ended there, look down at verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her. He brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. So now he's like, okay, I've done away with your husband. Now you're going to be mine. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. God is never happy with my sin and yours. He's displeased. It's a displeasure. Christ dies for it. But then we pick up in chapter 12. You've got to remember when Scripture was given, it wasn't given in chapter and verse. Did you know that? When you look at Greek and Hebrew, there's no chapters and verses. It just doesn't happen that way. We, we did that for, for, for man to for help us to find things quickly. I, I think when we come into the kingdom, Jesus is not going to go, have you memorized every chapter and verse? He's like, did you hide my word in your heart? But look at chapter 12. So then the Lord sends Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. And the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. And the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and he grew it up with his children. And I stopped there and I go, isn't that sweet? I mean, the little lamb. Everywhere that Mary went. No, no, I'm, that's a, oh, that's a nursery rhyme. I'm sorry. I got to give it to the tags. I, I get in trouble. Being a grandfather, this, okay, here we go. What's going to happen when I turn 80? Uh, no telling what I'll tell y'all. Okay. All right, let me see. Here it is. The rich man owned here. Uh, what verse is my at? There you go. There was one. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate. He drank from the cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, 
a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's little lamb, and he killed it, and he prepared it for his guest. Was it that kind? No. And David, verse 5, I want you to underline it in your Bible. David was, what does the Bible say? Furious. Does that mean he was, I'm a little mad. No, David was furious. I think when King David, the one that had slayed the giant, the one that slayed the bear and the lion, the one that had slayed the armies, he was furious, but, oh, God's going to set him up. Look, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing, he deserves to die, said King David. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then David said to David, you are that man. And then King David knew. How did you know? Because <laughs> God had let him in on it. He was the man. He, he had sinned. You, you, know what, you know what I learned about that? We all are dissatisfied with everybody else's sin. It is grotesque. It is horrible. We, we don't like other people's sin. But when it's ours, we tend to nurse it. It's not as bad because it's my sin. But your, your sin is repulsive. Can I just tell you? But my sin's not. Oh, my sin is. My sin cost Jesus the cross. My sin, your sin cost him that. So here it is. I just wrote it in the, the outline, confrontation. Nathan confronts David, his friend. He's a spokesperson for God, but he also comes as a friend to let him know that I care about you. So David's found out. And then I just wrote in there, you, verse 7, you are the man, David. But before you just run from that story, just ask yourself, have I ever been the man? Have I ever been the woman? Well, sure. We're, we're the man, we're the woman many times. And I look at that, and, and, uh, and, and I know David's like, oh, who narked on me? You know, you know what narks are, right? Okay, the police, you know, undercover and all that. You know. So who snitched on me? Well, well God did. God, God let me know. And, and some of you right now, you're like, well, I, I don't like this story, Pastor. You, I like it when you preach, but when you go to meddling, that's just uncomfortable, and we don't want that. It's part of my job. It's part of my job is to bring the full counsel of God. And when I do, sometimes it just hammers and steps on our toes. And when somebody steps on your toes, what do you do? You cry. You scream out, get off. And here it is. And God's like giving us a word. And he's saying, hey, David, you're caught off guard. You're the man. But David, I want you not to despise me. I don't want you to despise God. And, and the scripture talks about that David despised the Lord. I mean, it, it's just a tough thing. And, and you read this story. You can read it all for yourself. I'm trying to tell it to you as we move through there. But look at verse 9. And why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Don't ever go to the place where you despise the Lord. When you do, you're done. You're toast. You're in trouble. And I see that, and I just think about, man, have I ever despised the Lord? And then I think about this. I'd write a note today. Is there a Nathan in your life? We all need Nathans. You're like, but I don't want a Nathan. But we all need Nathans. Because Nathans are hopefully humble, they're bold, they're filled with God's word and truth, and they love us too much to let us get away with our sin, and they confront us. And, and some of you are Nathans, and we all need Nathans in our life, and, and, and they confront us in our sin that we might repent and turn from the path of sin to know the victory in Christ. 
So when I, I see this, you ought to just circle Nathan in your Bible and go, I'm going to come back to this. Nathan's, Nathan's are, are guardrails. Nathan's are there to give me boundaries and protection in my life. Nathan's are good. And the church said, amen. I mean, you're like, what's good about lying and covering up? Nothing. And he's just in all kind of trouble. And God's like, man, I, I got something else for you here. And so let's, let's just move down here. Look at this in verse 11. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. There's that rebellion. You see, David, you're not getting a free pass. Did you know sin has consequences? Did you know God is merciful and gracious and he forgives all sin? He does when we confess it. But it still has consequences. And some sins tend to have greater consequences than others. And I don't totally understand that. People ask me. But I became a Christian. I surrendered my life to Jesus. I go, man, that's awesome. But you stole. You embezzled a million dollars. You're still going to go to jail, but you can love Jesus in jail. And then people might say, well, I, I committed this sin and that sin. Well, man, I know it's horrible. It's grievous. And you repented. And praise God. And you're right. And you're not damned in your soul. And that's awesome. But you're... There might be some consequences. Are you glad that we don't get that which we deserve, that the Lord has mercy on us? I love the mercy of the Lord. It means I get, what that, I don't, I get that which I don't deserve. Because, well, I deserve a lot of punishment and hell and torment, and Jesus loves me more than that, but he also wants to get me on the right path. So look at C, open confession. That's where David begins to get the heart for God. He turns from sin. He turns his heart back in verse 13. And then David confessed to Nathan, he didn't go, Bathsheba sinned against God. Bathsheba was down, uh, you know, taking a bath or whatever, and she shouldn't have been there. Well, in that day, the terrain of Israel, it, 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 it sloped, it's terrain, and he's the king, so he's got a palace that sits up high, so it wouldn't be uncommon, and she didn't know he'd be there. This whole thing's not about Bathsheba. This thing is about David, folks. This thing's about David's sin. And, and here's what I'd write in your Bible. Take responsibility for your sin. That's all David does. David goes, I have sinned against God. I've also sinned against Uriah. And I've sinned against Bathsheba. I mean, David's not trying to get some easy pass. I mean, he's seeing confession. Matter of fact, I would write this morning, it's, it's going to come up Psalm 32. And I just want you to hear God's word because God's word has so much more power than me preaching concepts and telling stories. I want you to look at Psalm 32. Why don't you read it with me? Can we do that together? Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record, record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. All right, let's go to the next one. I think it's good. Let's do it together. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Let's stop right there. Do you get thirsty just thinking about water evaporating in the heat? Well, I know it's kind of a poor analogy today because it's not hot. You know, we finally, we turned the heater on this morning for the first time. Okay, but he, this whole thing goes, but, I could, but look at the theme here. David goes, but I confessed. I acknowledged my rebellion to the Lord. And it's so, and look at this next one. Finally, let's do it together. I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. And now all my guilt, all my guilt is, 
Isn't that good news? Jesus has a, uh, a dry eraser. And he erases. It's clean. You, you remember the Etch-A-Sketch? Did you have an Etch-A-Sketch when you were a kid? Could you draw anything with it? Then I hate you. I couldn't, man. And I was an artist. I actually took four years of art. Y'all don't know that. I used to be able to draw. But now all I can do is cartoons. But the bottom line is, I would get these Etch-A-Sketch, and I would have some friends. They would come over and they go, look at my Etch-A-Sketch. I'm like, you're full of pride. <laughs> That's because they could do it, and I couldn't. I just had squiggly lines. But you know what the best thing about Etch-A-Sketch was? What was it? What, what does that mean? Shake it up, erase it, clean Hey, you want to go out and play football now? Because I'm fixing to run over you. Yeah, I was spiritual then, okay? I didn't know Jesus until I was 19. I just, I just like, hey, you know, you got me on that. You can draw better than me on Etch-A-Sketch. Have you ever seen the, the artistic things when people really knew they were doing Etch-A-Sketch? Yeah, they need a life. I mean, that's just amazing. Okay, all right. So here it is. So confession. Let me just say this. Confession. I know my transgressions. I know my sin is before me. There's two sides to confession. I want you to write this down. There's two sides to confession. Number one. You confess to yourself, I know that I have sin, I recognize it, I acknowledge it, I turn from that, the memory of this grievous sinful act haunts me, I acknowledge it to myself. That's one point. The other side is this, then you confess it to God, and God only, and God, I have sinned against you with the admission of guilt, and then God corrects. He adjusts, he adjudicates, he washes us clean. It, it's the great side that he, he helps us turn from the, 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 the sin of confession. And then there's this whole thing here is just that genuine confession means there's a right estimate of sin. I see this for being not a mistake, not somebody else's mistake or fault, but my sin, my fault. There's something beautiful to God about when David acknowledged how he blew it. And he was contrite. And he turned to God. And there's something beautiful today in 2015 to God when you and I admit to him, Lord, you died on the cross for that. And that is grievous. That is sinful. Next weekend, we're celebrating Holy Communion. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, so you got a week to get clean. Is that cool? Some of you are like, well, crud. No, some of you love that because you want to make sure your heart's right when you come to the communion table. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, communion next weekend. Genuine, con genuine confession demands confession. It, you know what confession does? It always brings you and I to the cross of Christ. It always brings me back to Jesus. It always brings me to the cross, the place of his death, the place of propitiation, the place of forgiveness, the place of grace and mercy poured out on my wrath. And God says, that, that's where I want you to be. But I want you to fill in the next blank here, consequences. In verses 14 through 18, you see here, what happens? David and Bathsheba have a child, and the child does what? The child dies. This innocent child, you, you would go, well, who sinned? Well, David and Bathsheba sinned. But this child dies, and, and I read that. I don't want you to just blow over it. This child dies, verse 15. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. 
And David begged God to spare the child, and he went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. And the elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Please, King David, get up and have fellowship with us. Please eat. David's broken over his sin. And then on the seventh day, the child died, and David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will be Will he do when he tell him the child is dead? And when David saw them whisper and he realized what had happened, is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. And then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. And he went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the place and he was served food and he ate. And then I want you to move over to verse 23. He is dead. And I love this next section. Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Do you know that's the great hope we have in Jesus? We cannot bring the dead back. We cannot bring those that have passed on, but those that have proceeded with their solid faith in Jesus Christ, we can go to be with them. As a pastor, I hear this a lot, and people will say, son, daughter, will you make sure that you see me again, that you come to that where I am going? That would be heaven. Even when my own stepmom died, it was one of the things that she was telling me about one of, my, one of her sons that she says, would you continue to share the gospel that he might be where I am? That's the only thing she wanted, that y'all all might come to where I am going, the abode of God. It brings us to the cross of Christ. I, 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 I love it. You know, Peter falls at Jesus' feet and he says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. The publican beat his chest and his breast. And he says, and God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's all through the New Testament and the Old Testament. God's like, deal with your sin. I want to give mercy, but you got to turn. You got to repent. And when you do, there's beauty in that. So I, I just want you to see something. There, there's, a, there, there's a pattern here. Confrontation. Confession, consequences. Confrontation, confession, consequences. And, and, and that's what I said a minute ago, but I want you to feel in this next one because you'll love it. Sin is expensive. Somebody said it this way one time. Despite inflation, the wages of sin is still death. Romans 6.23, for all, you know, it talks about we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3. But then he talks about, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I go, amen. That's good news, church. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. But my sin has a cost. It's expensive. It costs Christ his life. And you know that. You're saying, well, hey, I know that. Tell me something I didn't know. So we we, you know, people always say, well, who murdered Jesus? It was those Roman soldiers. No. They physically carried it out. They executed it. But I did. You did. We nailed Jesus to the cross. And I need to remind myself every time I sin that it's my sin that took Jesus to the Calvary. And then maybe I'm willing not to do it so much or, or to turn from it. And so, so how, how, you know, he says, you are the man, you are the woman. How do we get there? Well, we sin. Matter of fact, I, I want to show it to you. Draw a box around the anatomy of sin and the anatomy of the soul. Just draw a box around it. I want you to, feel, I want you to hear the word of God because this is powerful. Because we always wonder, man, what, what's the makeup? What's the anatomy of this? Well, I'm going to tell you. James 1, 13 and 5, through 15, it tells you and I clearly 
where, where sin comes from. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and it drags us away. These desires give birth to a sinful actions, and when the sun or when the sin is allowed to grow, then it grows up and it gives birth to where does sin come from? Not rhetorical. I want to know. Where does sin come from? Y'all want to get in groups and determine, decide, and we'll come back and vote? Where does sin come from? Here. My heart. My own evil inclinations. My own evil intentions. My own evil desires. I am enticed. You are enticed by sin. That's the anatomy of, of the sin nature. And you're like, man, that's, that's not very good. Well, let's look at Galatians 5, 16, and 17. Because here's really the anatomy of our soul. And, and, and this gives us a little more hope. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, because your sinful nature always craves sin. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting, warring with each other, so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, as you, as you think about that, uh, let me see if I can break it down this way. So there's these, these two opposing forces, flesh and spirit, and, and, and they war, and, and they're at, at odds with one another. Well, I, I would put it this way. Okay, I think everybody can understand this. How many of you have a trash can at your house? God, y'all are sloppy. You, no, yeah, yeah, okay, you have trash. Right, and you have one under the sink. And what do, what do trash cans under the sink have a propensity to do? Smell. Oh, get full. Well, you should take it out. Okay. All right, they get full. They smell. And sometimes it is rancid. It is gross. It's grotesque. It's, and, and you don't welcome your neighbors over and go, hey, let's have a meal. You're like, man, I smell something, and it's not a candle. No, it's not a candle. It's our trash. And you, you see how ridiculous that would be? And you'd go over there, and you'd all sit around the trash can, and you would embrace it. You'd let that aroma get all over you. You're like, oh, pastor, that, that is just like gross, gross, gross. You know what you do? You, you back away from the trash can. And then I know what you do. If you have kids at home, you call them to come take the trash out. And then if you have a husband, what do you tell your husband to do? Gross. Needs to go. You take the trash out. You, you put it out. That's what we do with sin. We should put sin to the curb. But sometimes we don't put sin to the curb. We, we just hold on to it. It's like, well, I'm just going to, like, I'll tell you what. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to have Thanksgiving, and you're going to have the inside of a turkey, and that's just gross. I'm, I'm trying to get you sick, nauseated before lunch. Okay. And, and you get all that, yeah, all that stuff out of there, and, and, and you throw it over there in the bag. How many of you are going to leave it there for a week? If you do, you need help. But, but the, your house is going to be nasty. Fruit flies, bugs, roaches, little mice. Your wife's going to leave you. I mean, it's going to be bad, okay? So here's the thing. Put, you, you see what I'm trying to drive this morning? Put sin out. Oh, God, I, I, wanna, I want you to have mercy on my soul. Lord, I don't want to lean on the flesh. I want to lean on the spirit. Lord, I, don't, I want to choose not to sin. I want to overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit working within me because I, I have that. I want to listen to your voice, not to the voices of this world. 
But you know what I've learned about mercy? God is kind. His kindness leads us to repentance. And God just calls us back to himself. He didn't leave David alone. David, scholars tell us that it was some year that David was pursuing the cover-up and he moaned and groaned as the psalmist and different passages tell us. It was a bad place where David was. Separated from fellowship with God. But then he comes back to his love and he, he gets disciplined, but then he, he gets right. But then I found another little section study and I just thought was amazing. I, I just want to share it with you real quick. J. Vernon McGee was an old preacher, wrote a lot of commentaries, and I've read him over the years. And he, he has a little bit of Keith in him. He's verbose. He's long. No, I, don't, I don't know. Am I verbose? No, don't answer that. Okay, don't answer that. Okay. Preachers are known for being verbose, but I try to keep it succinct. But you, you read him sometimes, and he just goes on and on. But he's a, he had a brilliant mind. He had a lot to say. And, I, and, and in this David series, I was picking up every book I could on David. I wanted every insight, and I was asking the Holy Spirit, and I was reading different translations, and this and this and this, and I was reading and reading and reading. And I read something I thought it was fascinating. And he said, what was David's greatest sin? And, and I started thinking about it. I said, what was David's greatest sin? And a lot of us would go, you know, David's greatest sin was was him and Bathsheba, was adultery. No, his greatest sin was the murder of Uriah. His greatest sin was this, was his cover-up. His greatest sin was his pride. And I, and I kept reading this, and I thought it was interesting. So I want you to write down 1 Chronicles 21.1. I want you to hear what this expositor said, and, and I thought it was good. Now Satan stood up against Israel, and he moved David to number Israel. They were taking a census, and Satan was behind it. And Moses had taken a census on two other occasions, but nothing wrong with that. But David took a census. There in verse 3 of Chronicles. But God had not instructed David to take a census. Go with me. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their own wisdom or their strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have an understanding to know me, being the Lord that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For these I delight, declares the Lord. See, here's David's greatest sin. David did not delight himself in God at this point. He had great unbelief. And that's the great sin of David, his unbelief, his pride that came in, his unbelief that he wanted to try to trump somebody else. See, Israel had like a million, a hundred thousand fighting men. And then you go, Judah, they had a half a million. Moses, in his day, he only had like 603,000 men. So David, here's what happened. I learned his principle. I went, wow, I need to hear this. David trusted in the size of his army, of his numbers, in himself. And it always is a sin to God. God says, don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your abilities, but trust in me. Don't have unbelief. Go all the way. Here it is. David, you trusted me as a little shepherd boy when you went up against Goliath. You had no one but me. But David, now you're a big, powerful king. And you're doing census, and you're all about numbers, and you're all about counting and giving glory to yourself. David, I want you to go back to that place of belief. I want you to believe me. How many of you think today that there's nothing too difficult for the Lord? Nothing's impossible for God to those that believe, says the Scriptures. And I just look at that and I go, God, this, this is awesome. So Psalm 118, 8 through 9, listen to this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. 
I like that. Psalm 71.1. In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. 1 Chronicles 21.13. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But don't let me fall into human hands. You know what the last blank is? Grace abounds over the life of David. And next weekend, we're going to really look at the legacy of David. And it'll be more filled with hope. But I want you to look here. In verse 24, chapter 12, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. They've already lost a son. They had a son out of wedlock. They, they sinned against God. But listen, and David named him Solomon. Who is the wisest man that ever lived outside the Lord Jesus Christ? Solomon. That's a pretty good gift, isn't it? Because David returned to believing and trusting in God and not his own ability. And, I, and he, so, so he, ends, he ends that section with that. The Lord loved this child. He sent word through Nathan, the prophet, and they would name him Jedidah, which means beloved of the Lord as the Lord had commanded. But anyway, you, you go through this thing, and then, and then what do we know about King David? David never builds the temple. He only raises the money for it. But who builds the great temple? Solomon. Man, so you know what it tells me? God loves us. God's merciful. He deals with sin. But if you're willing to repent, he gives you a new heart. He gives you a new way, a new road. So I'm going to end it this way with Psalm 51. I'm going to ask the worship team to come because this, this is probably like my favorite. I love Psalm 51. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved to right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. It's in verse 7. Go to verse 8 and 9. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice, is what the psalmist said. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Now verse 10 through 12. This is where everybody gets fired up. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then, Lord, make me willing to obey. See, David, I love this. David, David gets it right. You see, today, I told you this weeks ago. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on you and he left. In the new dispensation of grace after Jesus came and was resurrected, ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit, I'll send another. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills us and seals us and marks us as children of God. And God takes not the Holy Spirit from us. Now we grieve the Holy Spirit. And this morning, God just wants the Holy Spirit to be open and free and flow and my prayer today is that he would restore the joy of our salvation today in Christ. You know how that happens? Through the purging, through the cleansing of the blood. For we don't conceal. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And right now, April's going to lead in a song. That I pray you hear it today. 
April, I pray that today you sing this song with a new anointing that you've never had. Because I think you're anointed. But I pray today that blood is just so powerful to you. And I pray that we all join April on the journey. Oh, the blood. I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing and worship. But I think some need to come out and hit the altar today. I'm going to be in the back of the room if you want to pray. But guys, it's the blood. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, I'll share this. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Oh, the blood. Hey, listen to these words. Sing these words. Receive the cleansing by this blood. Let's worship.